Well, we started the service today uh, just talking about this idea that, hey, it's 2022, and here we are in another COVID wave. Here we are in another time of, of uh, uncertainty, speculation. Uh, there's, there seems to be uh, a lot of us who have just in the last few weeks, the last month or so, we've either gotten COVID or we've been close to someone who has, or the things that we were hoping to do over the holidays had to be canceled. I know all of our holiday plans were canceled. Uh, we actually are we're having our Christmas celebration tomorrow with our family, finally, after, what is that, two or three, uh, three weeks late, something like that. Um, things that we had planned for, for New Year's are getting delayed as well, or they're not happening. And it can be discouraging. And I was, I was with, um, talking with some friends uh, I remember I was talking with Paul, I was talking with some other friends this week, and just wondering, is it always going to be this hard? Is it always going to be like this? Because sometimes when you're in the thick of it, it can sure feel like there's no end to it. Can you relate to that at all? Just that, you know, kind of getting down. And, you know, I, I described how I felt like God encouraged me uh, to, to see beyond what was visible, to see beyond the moment. And, and not only just in the sense of, I think, I think sometimes what we can do is say, oh, you know, God is in charge and this pandemic is not going to last forever. Or God is faithful and this challenge at work, he's going to overcome. And yeah, I, the, I think the pandemic, I think, is coming to an end. I think the problem at work probably will be overcome. But not only that, but to realize that God is doing something in the difficult moment that can also give you confidence and hope and peace. And uh, we, as a leader team, and Sonia and I, in our planning for this year, we had talked about taking some time to look at the book of Joshua. And we're not going to go straight through the entire book of Joshua, but for the next couple of few weeks, uh, we're just going to be looking at what God might have for us, because Joshua is a book about overcoming Joshua is a book about conquering. Joshua is a book about uh, seeing ahead of you something that looks impossible. Uh, if you know the story of Joshua, it's about when, when the people of Israel came out of Egypt, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and then they were taking over the land that God had promised them. And if you remember, when they were wandering in the wilderness, they sent these 12 spies to spy out the land. And the spies said, oh, we cannot take this land. At least 10 of them did. We cannot take this land. These people are giants. They're too strong. They're too powerful. They're too, there's too many of them. We will be consumed. And as a, as a consequence of their unfaithfulness, they wandered in that desert for 40 years. 40 years, a trip that really shouldn't take 40 days. They took 40 years because God did not allow them to enter into the land with, without that confidence and faith and trust in him. And there's even a little story where some of the people, they realized their fault, they realized their failure, and they decided to go in any way, and God did not go with them. The, the task was impossible without God. But in the face of these overwhelming and insurmountable odds, God took the people into this promised land, this land that he said was flowing with milk and honey, land where they would reap vineyards that they didn't plant, land where they would have cities that they didn't build a land where they would have peace on all sides, where the promises of God would be fulfilled in a new way uh, for his people. And so when we come to 
the book of Joshua in a tough year like this, a tough kind of new year. Uh, what I'm hoping is that we will walk away this morning with confidence in the face of what might seem to some like insurmountable odds. And again, not just, not just a pandemic. I mean, who knows what, what you have facing you on Monday morning or who knows what's facing you as soon as service ends today. I don't. But whatever it is, that God is there with you and that he's going to work with you to go not only through it but beyond it and above it and to experience his goodness in all sorts of ways. Uh, and, and to realize that there are promises, there are promises here for us uh, in the promises that God made to his people, you know, over 3,000 years ago. So if you have your Bible, open up to Joshua chapter 1, and we're going to do a little reading and talk about what God might want to say to us this morning in encouragement as we look out for our own promised land, as we look out. Uh, for our own victory in this challenging start to a new year. So in the book of Joshua, again, I just mentioned that the people of God have been traveling in the wilderness for 40 years, and if you remember, their leader was a guy named Moses. Now, Moses was pretty amazing, but he wasn't perfect. And not only was he not perfect, but there were some key moments where he didn't follow the leading of God, and he did things his own way. And so God told him that he would not enter the promised land. And so there was a point before the people of God were going to enter in where Moses is given a glimpse of the land that God had promised and he passes away and the people uh, mourn his death and then after that they go to his second in command. They go to his, his, his right-hand guy, Joshua. And so in verse 1, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the deserts to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. So what God is saying is all the promises that I've made in the past, they're all about to be fulfilled. All the promises of a land, all the promises of a nation, all these things that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, to Jacob, to Moses, you're going to experience them and all you have to do is follow me because I'm going to go with you wherever you go. I'm going to be with you. And do not be afraid. Be strong and courageous. And that's a refrain that we're going to see over and over in this chapter. And we even see it more in the book of Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Now, it is something about this phrase that I always just kind of come back to is that um, you cannot be courageous unless you're facing something scary, right? And sometimes, you know, I think it happens a lot, especially with children, you know, uh, they think that, oh, I'm, I'm afraid, so I can't be brave. You know, if I were brave, I wouldn't be afraid. But the truth is, uh, people who are not afraid cannot be brave, right? If you're not afraid of something, you can't have courage. 
uh, I, I don't ha- it doesn't take courage for me to walk up these steps because it's not scary. Now, what is a little scarier for me would be maybe uh, hang gliding off a cliff. Right? That would be scary. That takes courage. This doesn't take courage. It doesn't take bravery. No one has to storm the stage on Sunday morning. The worship team doesn't storm this, this space and, and you know, defeat our enemies and conquer. You know, we just walk up here. It's easy. Simple analogy. But, but God is saying it's the scary things that require you to be strong and courageous. It's the scary things that you have to uh, have bravery for. And what he's telling Joshua is, you're about to do something really scary but it's also going to be really good. He says it again in verse 7. Be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn to it from the right or the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. You see, God had given this covenant to his people on Mount Sinai. He gave Moses the Ten Commandments, and then he gave him the rest of the law that the Jewish people were to follow. And he said, you know, if you, if you uh, obey this covenant, if you're faithful to this covenant, covenant, you'll be blessed. And if you're unfaithful to this covenant, you'll be cursed. He says, you get to decide. Choose today who you'll follow. Right? And the people said, we'll follow you, God. And he says to Joshua, walk that path of following. Don't deviate to the right or the left. Stay on the straight and narrow with me and you will have success wherever you go. Keep the book of the law always on your lips. That's verse 8. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people Go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God has given you for your own. And he has some instructions uh, for the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, because they had already attained some of their land. Uh, They had already uh, uh, settled an area that had been conquered on the other side of the Jordan River. Uh, But then... The people, of God, uh, the people of God answered Joshua in verse 16, Whatever you have commanded us, um, wherever you have commanded us, we will, sorry, whatever you have commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, we will fully obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, Whatever you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. And, you know, just to understand first what is the historical importance of what we've just read. Because, you know, sometimes it's so easy. We read something like this and we want, okay, I've got to apply this in my life. I'm going to, like, what does this mean for me right now? But it's first so important to understand what it meant for them. And what it means historically, what it means for God's plan in history, in salvation history, is that God was, was uh, he had called Abraham to be a blessing to the nations. 
And he told Abraham, remember this story that we've been tracking through Advent, the story of the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, that when Eve uh, ate that fruit from the tree in the Garden of Eden, there was a curse upon the serpent, there was a curse upon the man and the woman, and the serpent, he says, the, the seed of the woman will crush the seed of the serpent in the head, that he would destroy, he would kill uh, the seed of the serpent. And when God promised to Abraham to make him a blessing to the nation and to bless all nations through him and that he would be, whoever blessed him would be blessed, whoever cursed him would be cursed and that he would make him a nation as numerous as the stars in the sky. What God was doing is he was continuing the promise of that seed. And we see it all through Abraham's uh, descendants, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12, the 12 sons, the 12 tribes captured in Egypt then released from Egypt, brought through the wilderness for 40 years and established in this new place where God was providing this physical, tangible kingdom to protect his seed that he was preparing to defeat Satan and defeat evil, to defeat death and to defeat sin. This is what God's doing. And so here he's saying, look, it's your job now, Joshua, and the people with you to be strong and courageous, to trust me enough to do the impossible so that we can together, because God's going to go with them, we can together continue this promise until it is brought to its ultimate fulfillment. And God did another thing here is he gave them the law, which was a better understanding of what their obligation and their relationship benefits were with God. So it's kind of a covenant is not just a rule it's not just a contract. It is also like an adoption ceremony. A covenant is like, you know, like we call a covenant a marriage covenant, right? It's really the only thing that we still call a covenant. But it's where two people who are not a family come together and all of a sudden they are a family. Except God wasn't the... He does talk of Israel as his spouse, but he also talks of them as his children. Where God becomes their father and they become his children. God says, you're now family with me. It's not just a rule book. It's a, it's a relational thing. And sometimes we think that, uh, you know, Judaism is all about rules and Christianity is all about relationship. No, God has always been about relationship. He has always been about inviting people into a loving, interactive, mutual relationship with him. But he was saying, essentially, he doesn't say it out loud, but the implication is, I'm a holy God. And so for you to be in a relationship with me, I need to make you holy also. And now in, in the history of God working these things out of salvation, this land and this law were going to not only protect the promise, but they would also serve as a sign to humanity that if God gave us everything we needed, it still wouldn't be enough for us it still wouldn't be enough for us to be the kind of people that he's calling us to be. Not because he's a, a legalistic taskmaster, but because he loves us too much to let us remain in sin, to let us remain in death. And so God was going to send the perfect fulfillment of the law. He was going to send the perfect fulfillment of a promised land. And if you were with us last week when we were looking at Hebrews 11, it said that when Abraham died, he didn't have the promise. When Moses died, he didn't have the promise. And it says they were looking for a different kind of land, a different kind of city. 
a different kind of kingdom, not just an earthly kingdom, but a heavenly kingdom. And as we go through the book of Joshua the next few weeks and look at some of the areas of conquest, we need to understand that God is not calling us anymore to this type of conquest. God's promise to you, you know, I know some churches, uh, and, and you know, God can, God can reveal things and, and, and call people to certain goals and ideas and, and things like that, and that's fine. But just the passage alone is not for us to, as a church, say, oh, we're going to claim Dedham, or we're going to claim New England, or we're going to claim America, or we're going to claim the world. That's not what it's about, not for us. Because we're not the ones who are looking for a physical land. We were the ones like Abraham who are looking for a heavenly one. But given that, we might read this and think, well, this isn't for us anymore. There's nothing to apply to my life here. I don't think that's true either. Just because it's not a land that God's promising us doesn't mean he's not promising us anything. What kind of kingdom does Jesus promise? It's a heavenly kingdom, right? It's a spiritual kingdom. And it has a physical, if you will, element. I'm not sure how you describe a city that's in heaven, if that's physical or not. <laughs> it seems to have a physical element. And certainly, at the end of days, there's some kind of thing that comes down from heaven to earth, and there's this city, and it's filled with people. So I guess it is a physical element. But Jesus says that the kingdom of God is here now, that it has already begun. It has been inaugurated, but not completed. And so God has, I think, given each one of us a promise about the kind of kingdom life that we can live right now, but we have to be strong and courageous. We have to have the kind of, the kind of uh, commitment that these people had when they said, Whatever you've commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. And again, another temptation in the church today is to say, just as the people follow Joshua, you guys need to follow me. But that's not, that's really not it either. Because I'm not the new Joshua. Who's the new Joshua? The name, the guy named Joshua. Jesus is the same name. Yeshua, Joshua, it's the same name. Jesus is the new Joshua. Wherever Jesus tells us to go, we go. Whatever Jesus tells us to do, we do. Guys, you're not here because I'm leading you, right? I think you know that. You're here because Jesus is leading you. And the, and the idea is that we're following Jesus together, right? And so there's still a promise here. And there's still a promise, just like those people were promised a land flowing with milk and honey. Jesus wants us to have life and have it abundantly. Just like uh, God says, I'm going to give you rest from your enemies on all sides. Hebrew, he, Hebrews 4 tells us that there is a rest offered by Jesus, the one who says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There is a peace that we can experience, that shalom of God right here, right now. In the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the the death, in the midst of the sin, in the midst of our failures, in the midst of, uh, you know, all of the things that, that want to kind of beat us down and press us in. Like the Apostle Paul who says, I was pressed but not crushed, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. That in the midst of all of that, there is a peace, a, a rest, a, 
a righteousness, um, an abundant life that can be experienced no matter what your circumstances are. And so just as God calls them to righteousness, he calls us to righteousness. And the law still plays a role, but it's different. Because ultimately our righteousness is found in Jesus Christ. And the law simply serves now, the Bible says, as a tutor, as something to train us so that we can better understand what it looks like in our process of becoming like Jesus. If Jesus fulfills the law perfectly, then to know the law, to understand the law, helps us to then live like Jesus. Not as those under the law, but as those under grace. But how do we enter into this promised land and life? How do we enter into these, these great things, the peace, the, the, um, the rest, the righteousness, the abundance, the, flo- the milk and honey. What's our milk and honey? Well, church, it might include things like financial security, uh, financial abundance, and it might not. It might include avoiding health problems, and it might not. It might include having uh, simpler relationships, and it might not. But the point is that no matter what the circumstances are, you can experience increasingly this abundance, this peace, this rest, this righteousness. Because God, just like with the Israelites, came to set us free from our captivity. He came to set us free from sin. Jesus, just like Joshua, was tasked with leading us into a new reality. Not one where we were uh, enslaved, but one where we're free. But so many of us, if we're really honest, feel like we're wandering in the wilderness, right? So many of us, we, we, we try, we fail. We try again, we fail again. We seek that peace, we don't find it. And we begin to wonder, will we ever get through this? Will we ever be past? You know, I'm not, maybe I'm not uh, enslaved to sin like I was because of the gospel. But maybe I haven't really stepped into the fullness that God has offered us in this life that abundant life that Jesus talks about. I'm still wandering in the desert. I'm still afraid and tired. I'm still hungry. You know, maybe you're alive, but you're not thriving. I've felt like that in my life more than once. (laughs) And so there's this question, how do we enter in? How do we enter into this promised land? What does it mean for us to be strong and courageous? And I don't want to put too sharp a point on on any of these things that I'm about to say because there's probably more than what I'm going to mention here. But it did occur to me this week as I was thinking through this and um, that that from the passage, there's three things that I see in the passage that seem very relevant to us today. There could be more and there could be things that this passage doesn't teach everything. Um, but, but things that kind of pop out to me like, oh, that that's, that's, we need the same thing, even though our goal looks different, even though our promised land is going to look different. We need these same things. And so the first one I want to talk to you about is this whole concept of faith and trust. 
really faith and trust and love, kind of all in the same bucket. You know, these people who'd gone through the, the wilderness for 40 years, uh, I didn't mention it before, but many of you already know, all the ones who lived in Egypt actually had died, except for Joshua and Caleb. They're the only two people who lived in slavery who made it out of slavery into freedom completely. That's, that's not good numbers. That's, that's, those, those are not great odds. It's like playing the lottery. Did you guys hear that two people, I guess, got winning lottery tickets out of how many? Millions. There were potentially over a, a million people who left Egypt. I should rephrase that. There was no one over the age of 20. There were children who did make it into the promised land. But adults, there were two out of potentially about a million. Two out of a million. So not great odds. That's, that sounds like a difficult, um, seemingly insurmountable challenge. But why, did, why was it that Joshua and Caleb made it into the promised land when all the other million adults didn't? They were the only ones who trusted the Lord. They were the only ones who were willing to do exactly what God told them to do, exactly when he told them to do it. They were the only ones that said, by the strength and power and might and grace of God, we can absolutely defeat these giants who look impossible to overcome. And I think there's a lesson in there that, you know, there are a lot of Christians, they're genuine believers, genuine followers of Jesus Christ in one sense, but don't follow him all the way into the promised land. And I don't think I'm just kind of like pulling out a, a you know, a, a, what's the word? I'm not just, this is not like an out-of-line metaphor. I think we see this all the time, right? People who are saved, these people, these Israelites, they were saved out of Egypt. And presumably, we're going to see them in heaven. But they didn't make it all the way. And I think a lot of us don't make it all the way because we don't have the faith, the trust, the love, commitment to go exactly where Jesus tells us to go, to do all the things that Jesus calls us to do. By the way, I have, I have uh, experienced many times in my life where I'm in that group and the Lord is calling me to more and I just don't go because I'm afraid, because I don't believe, because I don't trust, because it seems like it's too hard, because... You know, go down the list, right? And I think we've all experienced moments like that or maybe long seasons like that in our life. And maybe today God is saying to you, you can trust me to go all the way with me. And part of what that looks like is just having an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. One of the things about Joshua is that when Moses would go to speak with the Lord, Joshua would be there. Moses had this special tent that he set up outside the camp, and he would go there to meet with God. And you guys may know he put a veil over his face because his face would literally shine after he'd met with God. But Joshua was, was the only other person in those meetings. Can you imagine being the secretary for that meeting, how amazing would that be? He had an intimacy with the Lord that most people didn't have. Now, I really truly believe, 
And we see this all throughout Scripture. You don't need a special tent to have that kind of relationship with God, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, whether it's before Christ or after Christ, but particularly after Christ, because what the Bible says is that after Christ, that you are the tent and that our community is the tent where the Holy Spirit of God comes and dwells. And so every one of us is given the opportunity to have the kind of relationship with God that Moses and Joshua had. And how many days, how many days when we have this invitation to come to this magical tent where uh, when you show up, the glory of God is there and we choose TV or we choose, um, you know, just activities or we choose work or we choose, you know, whatever. Again, go down the list. When we put it in perspective like that, it sounds crazy. You know why? Because it is crazy. It is. It's foolishness. God set up the tent. He showed up for the meeting. And we're like, I kind of need to get to this thing. It's crazy. It, it's, it's reading the scripture. It's praying. It's listening to the Lord. It's... Um, following the, the guiding of the Holy Spirit. It's being attuned to the signs around you that God is at work. It's coming and worshiping or, or, or worshiping you know, through Zoom. I'm not even, it's not a, uh, uh, to get here. I'm just saying it's, it's to be intentional about worship and not just on Sunday. Can Joshua have the kind of relationship with God required to take over the promised land by just going to a service once a week? No. This is important, but it's important because it helps orient, hopefully, the rest of the week to be attuned to the Lord. It's important because when you get knocked off track, then you come to a place like this, and the people around you encourage you to get back on that relational track with God. It's important because we need a place collectively to kind of speak back the joy and gratitude we have from what God did all week. But it can't just be Sunday. So there's this faith, trust, love, relational intimacy element that we have to have if we want to step into our promised land, which is that abundant life that Jesus offers, the kingdom living uh, that Jesus talks about in the scripture. Well, there's a second thing we need to do as well. And it's not so much obvious in this passage, but it's obvious in all the passages around this passage. So whether it's Deuteronomy, later in Joshua, even in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, uh, you see glimpses of this along the way, which is that we need to have the strength and courage to face, kind of face the past and the present head on. One of the most uh, disappointing parts of the whole Exodus story is that there is a time where the people of God have left Egypt, they've left slavery, they've left their oppressors, they're out in the wilderness, God is giving them everything they need. By the way, the Bible says their shoes never wore out, their clothes never wore out, it's just crazy. 
everything they need, but there's a point where they're struggling to find water, and the people literally say, it would be better for us to go back to Egypt than to stay here and follow the Lord. There's another Bible verse that says essentially the same thing. Something about dogs returning to their vomit. We have an uncanny ability once we have experienced the goodness of God to want to go back to the thing that God saved us from. Part of this is that you may have heard, you know, you can, you can take the, the Israelite out of slavery, but it's hard to take the slavery mentality out of the Israelite. Is that sometimes our past controls our present because we're never able to face that past effectively with the Lord. Joshua came out of slavery and acted like a leader. A lot of those folks came out of slavery and acted like slaves. Some of us have horrible pasts, all sorts of trauma, sadness, disappointment, and by the grace of God, by intimacy with the Lord, by faith and trust in Him, uh, we can face that and we come out the other side stronger than we ever would have been otherwise. And some of us never seem to be able to get past it. Or maybe our present is so real to us, our present circumstances. Those people were in the desert. They couldn't find water that day. They knew God had given them water every single other day, right? They couldn't find food that day, but God had given them food every single other day. And all of a sudden, they're like, ah, the sky is falling, right? And, and, and it's kind of like they just, you can't get past your moment. But to be strong and courageous to face your past and face your present with the presence of God, with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the, the wisdom of Scripture, with the encouragement of the saints, the body of Christ, we can find healing from our past and we can find power over our present. But if we're not courageous, we'll run from those things. Right? I mean, I've heard... Many times Christians say, you know, I don't want to think about the past because, uh, you know, I've got Jesus now. I'm going to press on to what's ahead. Kind of quoting that passage from Paul, which, by the way, it's not what Paul was talking about at all. He's saying, I'm not going to look back on all my accolades. I'm going to press forward and trust in Jesus. But sometimes you have to look back to move forward. Sometimes you have to face the present with courage to move beyond it. Or else you remain enslaved to it, even though you're not in slavery anymore. Things like bitterness, things like resentment, things like unforgiveness. Uh, Sonia was sharing with me the other day. She's like, you know, I, I realize that, you know, one of the reasons we don't forgive is somehow we want to make that other person pay, right? But I'm the only one who pays the cost for my unforgiveness. And, and the price for, the, for forgiveness has already been paid by Jesus, so it doesn't cost me a thing to forgive. But it's so hard sometimes, right? You know, those things, when you can't overcome, they, they hold you back. And I think a lot of the Israelites, they spent too much time looking back to Egypt that they couldn't look forward 
uh, to but not because they were looking back to overcome it. They were looking back because they were too afraid to face what was ahead. So it's this weird dynamic. You've got to have the courage to face all of it. You have to be able to face the past, the present, and then finally to face the future. I think sometimes we convince ourselves that God just wants us to look at one. Just look ahead. Just look at the present. God wants us to face all of it because he's big enough to face all of it. There's nothing in your past, there's nothing in your present, and there's nothing in the future that God can't handle. So in the case of the Israelites, it took 40 years to get rid of that slavery mentality by... I don't know what the percentage is of two out of a million who were able to overcome it in their lifetime. But with Jesus, those percentages start, they start moving up, right? I think one of the great things about what we see in the New Testament is that we see this profound number of people who are able to overcome their past and their present and, and step into a more glorious future even when their circumstances uh, looked really challenging and were. You know, if you just think about the apostles, 11 out of 12 is a lot better than 2 out of, out of a million. It's really incredible what happens once you have the Holy Spirit. God, God, there's room. God's making room for all of us. We don't have to worry about the odds like that. It's really incredible. So there's that intimacy, relationship with Jesus, that faith, that trust, that love. There's the courage to face your moment, your past, your present, your future, to face it head on, not being afraid to, to go, go through it, not trying to get around it, avoid it, uh, pretend it's not there, sweep it on the rug, just face it head on. And then the third thing uh, that I think that we see here that's really incredible, that the people are willing to do is they have this radical obedience. Radical obedience. And what they're obedient to, it's interesting when you look at the scripture, um, you know, there's all these laws like this is right, this is wrong, this is right, this is wrong, da-da-da, right? But when you kind of think about a lot of those things, if you, if you do the wrong thing uh, in any of those, pretty much, I mean, not everything, but a lot of the things, there's sacrifices available, there's forgiveness available. But where it seems that people get really the most knocked off track in life is not, I'm not trying to minimize the moral aspects of the law, but where it seems that people get knocked off track the most is not that they, they weren't obedient to the rule, it's that they weren't obedient in the sense of they weren't willing to follow the leader. And again, the leader's not your pastor. Your pastor, you know, wherever you go, the pastor's just, um, you know, someone who's also following the leader. That's the role. The leader is Jesus. When they say, whatever you've commanded us, we'll do. Wherever you send us, we'll go. That's how we should respond to Jesus, to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, to the clear guidance that we get in Scripture that God gives us, that we respond in obedience to the person more than the rule. Again, not because the rules don't matter, but the rules matter because of the person. Follow the person. I've likened it before. It's like uh, when I first moved here to Boston. I don't know if you guys realize this. Boston streets are insane. They're, yeah. 
And then I had a job where I had to drive all over, you know, from all the way up to Massachusetts, I mean, New Hampshire, all the way down to Rhode Island, as far over as, um, as uh, Springfield. And you know what? It was the time I didn't own a GPS. So it was all maps. And trying to navigate the city of Boston and also the huge surrounding area by maps, for me, was really difficult. It's very difficult. I didn't know any of the landmarks. I didn't know the street names. I didn't know which were one way. There's a few one-way streets around here. I'm not used to that. And, and, you know, you're constantly going like this while you're driving, which cannot be safe, right? There's just nothing safe about that. But that's what I'd have to do. And then, I remember, I think it was Christmas or a birthday, I got a GPS. And all of a sudden, I could keep my eyes on the road, and someone would just tell me what to do. And it was like heaven compared to driving with a map. And it's like, oh, that's what, that's the difference between following a person and following a rule. With the rules, I feel like I'm kind of looking at the rule, looking at life, looking at the rule, looking at life, looking at the rule, looking at life. With Jesus, he says, turn, I can just turn. Now, I don't always do it. I still get lost. I still get lost with a real GPS. I still get lost with Jesus. I still get lost with the Holy Spirit. But you know what else is great? When I got lost before, I would literally, I've done this before, I would literally call my dad in Tennessee and say, can you do a, a map quest thing for me? Here's where I am. I don't know how to get back to where I'm supposed to be. Now, the GPS just automatically reroutes me. Jesus does that too. The Holy Spirit does that too. You, you're disobedient. He reroutes you. He gets you back on track if you'll just listen to him and follow him and be obedient. So again, I don't want to minimize the rules, but man, obedience is really about following the person. What is Jesus inviting you to do that you can be obedient to? Well, some of them are the rules. <laughs> He's saying, be honest, be generous, be gracious, be sacrificial in healthy ways, right? Be, uh, be holy. Look at how I lived and live like that. And I'll even tell, help you to know what to do along the way. And he's saying, uh, uh, forgive. He's saying, um, spend, more time, uh, spend more time with this person that needs your help today. Give such and such a call. Pray for so and so. I mean, I've, I've noticed that as I take time to ask the Lord what he wants me to do today, he will give me things to do on my to-do list that I would never have thought of. And sometimes it's like, reach out to so-and-so, you know? And I do, and then, like, lo and behold, oh, pastor, thank you so much. Uh, you can't understand how great it was to hear from you today because X, Y, Z. And not just because I'm the pastor. You, it would be great if you did it too. God will guide you. God will lead you. So we, there's this faith, this trust, this love, this intimacy with God. There is this uh, courage to face your reality, past, present, and future. And then there's this willingness to be radically obedient to Jesus, whether it's through the word, through listening prayer, through just the circumstances. Sometimes the circumstances just open up and there's an opportunity to bless somebody or be blessed if you just listen, if you just respond. Well, if we, if we do all that, 
which I don't know about you, but that sounds actually a little burdensome. Sounds very burdensome, actually, because I fail to do those things all the time. But then to know that just like with Joshua, God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will go with you wherever you go. God is with you in this process. It's not just another, this isn't just another set of rules. They're invitations, relational invitations where God says, hey, there's this path that's going to make your life so much better. Hold my hand and we'll do it together. Right? We'll walk this path together. Just hold my hand. Right? So it's all coming as a result of the blessing of God, not your hard work. It's coming as a gift of the Holy Spirit, not, uh, not your effort. And guys, I'm telling you, I preach this type of message fairly often, and I so struggle to live it. So I'm not coming up here as an expert on how to do this, except that I've tried it a lot, I've failed a lot, and I'm still trying. And I have gotten better, and I've got a lot better to get. <laughs> but it's very clear to me that's the way. And if we were to live like that, the outcome would be, just like for Joshua and the people of Israel, the outcome will be walking into a more peaceful land. Internal peace, external peace, relational peace, job peace. Uh, you know, imagine uh, you go to work and that person that just you have a hard time dealing with, what if all of a sudden God says, hey, uh, Pray for that person. They're going through a really hard time. And your whole mentality of that person changes. It actually gives you more peace to work with them, even when they're being obnoxious. What about that, uh, you know, the boss who threatens you? If you don't do this right, uh, you're out of here. And God kind of just says, by the way, there's plenty of other jobs I can put you in. This is not a problem. Just, just do what you need to do. The peace that comes with that. You know, and as you and the people around you walk this way, you have more peace with one another, right? What a gift that is. More rest. The gift of Jesus is yoke that's easy and his burden that's light. You know, so often uh, we're kind of running ourselves ragged and maybe the leadership of the Holy Spirit is slow down, take a break. This isn't that important. Let it slide. Right? And you experience a deeper degree of rest. I'm, I, I am the kind of person like some of you that uh, I feel most comfortable when I'm going and doing. It's very hard for me to rest. But I have learned uh, in some moments I've been able to receive that invitation to rest. It is a hard one for me. Uh, like maybe one of the harder. To receive that invitation to rest. Um, and to find more rest in even the work that I do. I think some of you have experienced that, but maybe we need more of it. Maybe we can, can step more into that calling. Uh, more freedom. Remember, it's freedom from slavery, right? Set the captives free. Freedom to dream. Freedom to succeed. Freedom to fail. You know, I think of the Christian life as like those, um, those um, trapeze artists. You know, they're doing all those crazy things up in the air, 
And they don't feel, I mean, they feel pretty comfortable doing them because there's this net down there, right? And it's like if you fall, there's a net. And then most times you don't fall because there's these really strong hands that grab you right in midair, right when you're doing some crazy stunt. Those hands grab you and take you safely to the other side. And if they don't, that net's there. I mean, I, I, it's almost like Jesus is saying, what's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that could happen? Do something a little crazy. What's the worst that could happen? And you think, well, I could die. And he's like, got you covered. Well, I could live, but I could lose my job. Got you covered. Well, you know, I might, I might make a big mistake and make a fool of myself. I know how to take care of shame, too. I got you covered. Like, there's not a problem here. I'm not saying be unwise. I'm saying dream a little bit. Go for it. Take some risks. The kind of risks that Jesus is inviting you to take. Um, and then finally, what we see in Joshua as well. So they experience this peace. They kind of enter this land where God gives them peace. Uh, they experience this rest. They experience this freedom. But also they experience this growth. So Abraham has promised uh, descendants that are equal to the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore. And man, do the people of God explode. And they explode not only in this land, but then they explode all over the earth. And I'm including you and me in that. That God had a plan to bring more and more and more and more and more and more and more people into his family, into his promises, into his covenant, into his grace, into his rest. It is that you're going to see growth and you're going to see growth of people around you when you live this kind of life. You're going to become stronger. You're going to become more at peace. You're going to be able to uh, remain the kind of person you want to be in the midst of very difficult situations. And then you're going to see that multiplied in people around you. Either people who don't know Christ but are coming to know Christ or people who know Christ but they're still in the wilderness and you can say, hey, I found a way through the wilderness. Can I show you? Just, And it's not even grab my hand. Can I show you how to grab the hand of Jesus? He will walk you through this wilderness. There is something better on the other side. It's a glorious promise. It's a wonderful thing. So if you're coming into 2022 thinking, I'm not sure there's a lot to hope for or rejoice in, I just want to affirm to you that God is saying, uh, there is a promised land for you. And it's available this year. It's available every year. <laughs> but it's available this year too. Nothing going on is keeping me from helping you step into the land this year. There is nothing going on that's going to prevent me from blessing you the way I want to bless you this year. So don't be afraid. Rather, only be strong and courageous. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good to us to give us this message of hope and peace and encouragement in the beginning of this year. Lord, you gave it to